Welcome to Insights Now, a series of conversations designed to shine a light of clarity on the complex world of investing. We've entitled our second season Asset Class. After years of very good returns, broad indices of US stocks and bonds look expensive relative to history. This reality both limits future returns and increases the risk of a market correction. Investors who want to enhance future returns or reduce risk may need to adopt a more sophisticated approach, looking at different sectors and styles within US equities and bonds, and looking at other assets to diversify their portfolios. And that's what Asset Class is all about. In each episode, we look at an area of investing and speak to an expert in this area. In recent years, we've seen much greater attention being paid to factor investing, commonly known as smart beta, as a low-cost way of beating the market. Investors are increasingly employing factors, the broad, persistent drivers of returns, to better allocate assets, build portfolios, and manage risks. While traditional active managers have long made use of these factors, the rise of ETFs have allowed the average investor to access factor investing in a low-cost, transparent way. Given this increased interest in factor investing, I'm so glad today to be joined by Yazan Romahi, who runs the Quantitative Beta Strategies team here at JP Morgan Asset Management. So Yaz, welcome to Insights Now. Thank you. Thanks, David. So to start with, I know many investors are unfamiliar with factor investing. So can you help us understand what factor investing is and what are the main factors you focus on in equity portfolios? Um, Sure. So, I mean, some of the terminology around it is certainly newer in concept, but it is important to, to really kind of understand, I guess, that factor investing like you mentioned, is just a codification of investment principles and risk premia that have been known to the active community for a very long time. We focus on three main factors, value, quality, and momentum. So value is just really buying stocks that appear cheap. To be a bit more specific, uh, when in defining what, uh, what we think of as cheap, when we were looking at a range of metrics that look across the balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow statement, The specific metrics would be price to earnings, price to cash flow, price to book, and dividend yield. We simply simply rank stocks across their sector peers, so tech companies against one another, financial companies against one another, and so on, and then lean into the stocks that rank best. Quality is, as it suggests, buying high-quality companies. We define our quality factor as looking at a range of profitability, financial risk, and earnings quality metrics. Again, taking a holistic view of companies and evaluating stocks against their sector peers. Momentum is taking advantage of the notion that stocks rising in price tend to continue to rise in price and vice versa. All of these are common notions for active fundamental investors. Uh, However, we can define these principles into indices and deliver them via ETF form, providing investors with a highly transparent, liquid and tax efficient means of accessing these risk premia. Okay, so so that's a that's a number of factors. Um, But of course, there are just single factor portfolios also. So can you tell me a little bit about the pros and cons of single factor portfolios? Sure. So one can think of using single factor portfolios from a strategic or tactical perspective. So if we look at it, Uh, from the strategic perspective first, and take each factor one by one, it comes down to what the investor is really trying to solve for. So sector neutralized value, for example, is a factor that the evidence suggests over the long term always wins out because investors tend to over, sorry, because investors tend to overpay for growth. Quality is a more defensive way to capture the equity market premium given its lower beta, so maybe most useful for someone wanting to access the equity markets, uh, but maybe is more tepid about its prospects. And momentum is a strategy that always leans into the names that are currently driving the markets and tends to be slightly higher beta in nature where the investor believes current trends are likely to continue. 
So single factor investing can also be used to correct for imbalances that may exist in one's portfolio. So our clients, for example, whom we've been speaking to more recently, have had their portfolios drift more and more into growth um, stocks, given that that's where the market has moved over the last few years. And this has resulted in their portfolios becoming heavily tilted towards expensive stocks. So a value portfolio in this case can help correct this bias um, since we expect this differential to normalize, given that it is currently at an extreme. So, okay, so I, I get how you could use these single factor portfolios then in, in a broader portfolio, but you also run multi-factor portfolios. So can you tell us a little bit about the multi-factor portfolio approach? So it's important to understand that actually the factors diversify each other. And so, in fact, when you're thinking about a core allocation, one really needs to think about an allocation to all the factors. So in that context, our multi-factor portfolios look to evenly balance the value, quality, and momentum. Over the long term, as you mentioned, given their lack of correlation to each other, uh, it essentially gives you a nice strategic core to a portfolio. We run the same approach across different regions of the globe, spanning the US as well as international markets. Okay, um, so let's go back, it seems like a long time ago, but before the pandemic, what single factor ETFs were doing better and how did the pandemic change that? Momentum as a factor has actually been doing very well for years, in this case reflecting that the market was led by high growth stocks, this made sense behaviorally amid a low growth, low rate environment. Now, if we were standing here in January 2020 and we were talking about what I would expect would happen over the year, I mean, value was already looking cheap. In fact, a lot of people were starting to tout the, the, the historic cheapness of value. Um, but what we found is actually uh, the pandemic accelerated the, the trends that existed uh, prior. And so actually value continued to underperform. Momentum continued to outperform. Quality actually uh, uh, did well, uh, given the, you know, the volatility in the market that you had a little bit more of a defensive tilt. But what we saw through the pandemic is essentially a mega cap rally akin to the Nifty 50 era, but also a growth rally um, that continued to extend, um, similar to the one we saw in the dot-com era. And um, so as a result, the value growth spread today is actually at such an extreme that we expect a normalization at some point going forward. Indeed, one can argue that actually, to a certain extent, that has started, given that, uh, that we've seen value start to outperform since Q4 of last year. Well, actually, that's what I was going to ask you about, because it does seem that global equities overall have rallied with massive fiscal stimulus and the rollout of these vaccines. Um, but what does that mean for a factor's perspective going forward? So after the vaccine announcement, obviously, we got more typical early cycle behavior. So value started doing well. Small cap stocks did uh, did extremely well. Low quality names began to rally. It's not all that dissimilar from the period after the dot-com bust or after the great financial crisis. All right. and But, but of course, this, this period will also come to an end at some stage because we do expect growth to normalize after post-pandemic uh, post surge. Um, so what factors could then dominate market trends? And... Would you have, and secondly, would you have a different answer if we actually end up with inflation rather than that normalization? So I think the current opportunity for factors is actually quite interesting. So value stocks we mentioned are as cheap as they've been since .com. Actually, similarly for quality, the, uh, the, the uh, spread there is also quite interesting. Momentum is not actually as rich as one would expect, given that it's clearly been leaning towards growth for a very long time. And the reason is because... Um, 
it's actually a lot more neutral now and indeed may even be starting to lean towards value. So of the three potential scenarios, if we think about kind of uh, going forward, say Fed gets it right, we stay in this current market regime and eventually progress from early to mid to late cycle, value should continue to do well as it benefits from historical cheapness. Momentum will continue to align more and more with value as, uh, uh, as this continues. Quality may lag, but because it's actually cheap, I would actually expect that it shouldn't underperform by all that much. So generally, that scenario would be a good one for factors. If we um, start to go into a more inflationary period, value gains accelerate, momentum aligns with value even quicker, so both of those do well. Quality in that case potentially would lag more. A slightly different mix, but still not a bad scenario. The one which is, uh, I guess, the weakest is if we end up in, in a double dip, for example. Uh, maybe the vaccination process doesn't go as well. Uh, value will suffer in that scenario. Um, and uh, given that momentum has actually been increasingly aligning with value, momentum is likely to suffer now, even though obviously it did well uh, um, in, the, uh, in, in 2020. Um, in this scenario, momentum would suffer. Um, quality should do well in this case because obviously it's giving you more defensive tilt. So overall, you know, you've got quality doing okay, two factors doing poorly in that scenario. So that would be the weakest of the three. Well, uh, well, thanks, Yaz. I mean, that, that gives it, it does sound somewhat complicated depending on how the world turns out. But more generally, do you think that investors should, you know, if we have these changes in regime and the way the world is operating pretty quickly over the next year and then over the next two or three years, do you think investors should move to from one factor model to another if the version of the world is basically changing? So, I mean, factor timing is definitely hard. It's hard to know what market regime you're in, hard to define which factors perform best in which regimes, as each are backed by you know, a range of economic drivers. And these drivers don't always move in the same direction, so may not always align with the market regime. That said, Value has tended to work well in periods of strong economic growth when rates are rising and early on in the cycle. Momentum tends to work well as a market cycle extends. Quality tends to do well during market shocks or recessions. So do we think this can help to have some kind of qualitative insight in terms of uh, which factor um, might do well going forward? Absolutely. For example, today we know that value stocks are as cheap as they've uh, they've ever been. So knowing the current economic backdrop should lead to a strong conviction in, in leaning into value at this point in the cycle. Um, but I think the other thing that is very important is to be minded that these factors are uncorrelated to each other. So so really, um, if you don't necessarily want to uh, be in the game of timing the factors, a core allocation that diversifies across these factors is actually very important. Yeah, and that, that really sort of ties into my last question, which is, what kind of investors do you think these factor strategies work best for? And how would they fit into the portfolio of an average investor? So factor strategies are really an important part of portfolio construction for every investor. I mean, basically, you need to ensure that in your portfolio, you're accessing a wide range of risk premia, a wide, uh, even within the context of the equity risk premium, that you're actually capturing um, a diversified set of, of, mark, of return drivers. Um, and we mentioned the factors tend to be quite diversifying to each other. So I think your average investor should expect to have an exposure to each of the factors in their portfolio. We mentioned how they can be used by an investor wanting more tactical exposure, but it is important to understand that actually the most important use of factor investing is in the context of having exposure to all the factors within a diversified portfolio. All right. Well, listen, thank you for joining us, Yaz. And thank you all for listening. Please tune in to our next episode, where I'll be joined by Giri Devilopalli, 
and Portfolio Manager in the U.S. Equity Group, responsible for managing the large-cap growth strategy here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass.